Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello and welcome everybody. You have tuned into episode number 279 of Linux in the Ham Shack. And we are all here tonight. The usual cast of characters is going to do it for you tonight. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right, very good. And uh, we went through our Weekender last week and our short format episode. So on this episode, we're going to take a deep dive as we do on alternating weeks. And um, there's a software package that, you know, we kind of mentioned in passing a couple of times over the last 10 years but you know it's it's probably about time we actually did sort of a deep dive into it because why not we haven't really done that yet so we are going to take a quick look at well not a quick look we're going to take an in-depth look at ham radio deluxe because according to their own website uh by the way their website what is their website hamradiodeluxe.com hey there's appropriate uh if you go to hamradiodeluxe.com you'll see the Ham Radio Deluxe is, according to them, the best ham radio software suite for amateur radio operators. And on the very next line, you see Ham Radio Deluxe software, the radio amateur's best asset. And then on the very next line, it shows integrated software for logging, rig control, digital modes, and satellite. Because, you know, no other software package does all of that. And then there's also um, a line right under the download link. That says the current version of Ham Radio Deluxe is version 650207. Uh, obviously, they're putting their commit IDs into their uh, their license or their numbers. So uh, yeah, that's some that's some serious uh, <laughs> semi versioning or whatever. <laughs> just to make sure you have, <laughs> make sure you upgrade to 207. Make sure you don't have like 196. You know, you want to make sure you have the very latest one. Uh, but right after that, it says amateur radio software at its finest. So in the first four lines on the front page of the website, it's the software suite for amateur radio operators, the best one, amateur radio's best asset, and software at its finest. So how could we possibly ignore such a wonderful piece of software? So we should definitely check it out. Well, you missed the premier software suite for Ham's Shack automa- Automation, too. Where is that? Did I that's, miss that? That's up in the pictures up at the top of the oh, page. Oh, it's up in the pictures. I, yeah. I sort of skipped over the scrolling pictures. Yeah. All right. So I guess the first thing we should talk about is the fact that since this is um, basically Windows-only closed-source software, we should talk about the thing that's most important about that, which is the end-user license agreement. So, Bill, you want to run down some of the items on the uh, EULA? Yeah, so uh, here, as a, I, I, I booted up my Windows 10 instance, and you know I'm, I'm going all in on this HRD. So I was like, I clicked the Setup button after downloading a 115-meg package, which is pretty large. And, uh, yeah, this is the first thing I'm presented with after I've given it permission to, uh, you know, write a bunch of stuff onto my system. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
Number one, under the end user license agreement, the agreement HRD Software LLC, the vendor grants the user, the licensee, a non-exclusive and non-transferable license, uh, the license, <laughs> to use Ham Radio Deluxe, the software. Obviously, those are all the abbreviations now. So number two, the software includes the executable computer programs and any related printed and electronic and online documentation and any other files that may accompany the product. And number three, title, copyright, intellectual property rights, and distribution rights of the software remain exclusively with the vendor. Intellectual property rights include the look and feel of the software, and this agreement constitutes a license for use only and is not in any way a transfer of ownership rights to the software. And I think that one's the, the, the most interesting in this, this piece of software. Yeah, I think so, too. But, you know, to that end, we should probably just run down a few or more of these bullet points just to be sure that we're uh, being thorough here. Sure. The software may be loaded onto more than one computer. That's very nice of them. Using the license key and the call sign assigned to... We're clearly not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, the one thing you guys didn't touch on was the pricing. Uh, uh, it's hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. Ham Radio Deluxe software download is a hundred dollars. You want the CD? It's a hundred and twenty. And if you want it with it's like a dollar per minute. Yeah, and if you want it with USB, <laughs> it's a hundred and twenty-five. Or if you just want maintenance uh, without the media, it's fifty. Okay, so let let, let me do this. Um, let's start that over. So before the thing, I'm gonna I'm gonna fix this all later. But um, so we're gonna come out of the third bullet point, and then I will we'll get to that there. So uh, so Bill said something about that's the most interesting part of the license agreement. Okay, so yep. All right, so but yeah, don't you need to fix because you like. <laughs> Did your record? No, record no, no. I'll, I'm going to put all that in later. Gotcha. So. Okay. You guys are horrible about telling jokes. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you already blew the punchline. Well, yeah. <laughs> punchline of what? I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right. So, but before, we just want to make sure that, you know, everybody has a great outline of the end user license agreement because you're going to be subject to this. And because you're only getting a license to use the software, you don't actually own the software, we should probably talk about the fact we already mentioned the fact that it's closed source so you won't have access to any of the code or anything like that but we also want to mention that it's not free either so definitely uh we want to know how much it's going to cost to run this fantastic and all the other like superlatives they used earlier software so uh cheryl i think was looking that up yes so the ham radio deluxe software with just the download is 99.95 that does not include the cd or usb the Ham Radio Deluxe software with CD is $119.94, and the Ham Radio Deluxe software with USB is $124.94, or if you just want maintenance and support without the media, it's $49.95. Oh, fantastic. It's a bargain at twice the price. Yeah. All right. And that's for one year. So. Yep. And then you have to pay again if you want continued support. All right, good. I'm going to work all that in. And now... <laughs> All right, so happy April Fools, everyone! If you got through that, you can actually uh, <laughs> continue listening continue from listening there <laughs> to the real topic. And the real topic we're going to talk about tonight is open source licensing. We're going to take a little bit of a dive into open source licensing. Talk a little bit about some of the licenses that are available. Uh, this is important both for people who create software and for people who use software. And we want to make sure you're aware of the li- some of the licenses that are attributed to some of the software that's out there in the amateur radio world for Linux and other operating systems. And we want to make sure you understand 
like especially from the user perspective like what things you're granted by that if you want to do development on software for something you download what changes and what information has to be propagated forward if you're going to be using certain kinds of licenses so we thought we would talk a little bit about that without getting too deep into the legal ease we'll just talk about the licenses themselves uh, what they grant whether they're permissive non-permissive copyleft or copyright and uh, then we'll move on to some feedback and some announcements uh, but since bill was kind enough to download a bunch of different licenses uh, especially <laughs> the popular ones because there are some very popular ones uh, we'll run down some of those and we'll let bill talk about it. yeah the first ones we're going to kind of touch base with are the open source traditional open source licenses that uh that you're probably most familiar with and uh, those are mainly the gnu licenses uh the mozilla apache mit licenses and we're going to touch on on a few more but we're going to go over the uh the gnu agpl and gpl licenses right now now we aren't going to mention mention specifically the older versions of these licenses um we are in uh, gpl version three now uh, and there is like a, a morphed license that sort of took over from where two took off and, uh, we'll get to that as well. So, but we'll start with uh, the GNU AGPL version three, and this is, a uh, the permissions of this strongest copy left license are the conditioned on making available the complete source code of licensed works and modifications, which include larger works, uh, using licensed work under the same license. So this, uh, this if the original license is AGPL version three, the next license has to be AGPL version three. Uh, the copy and license notices must be preserved. Contributors provide an express grant of patent rights. Uh, when a modified version is used to provide a service over a network, the complete source code of the modified version must be made available. So the general permissions with this particular license, the AGPL version three, are commercial use. You have the ability to distribute, modify, you have the ability to patent the use and also have private use of the software. Uh, some of the conditions, uh, you must dis disclose the source. You must include the license and the copyright notice in whole for any of the previous works that you built upon and your own work. Uh, the network use is uh, distribution. Uh, the same license, the same license must stay the same. And I'm, I don't know what the state changes mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what state changes are referencing either. Uh, Cheryl can probably look that up while we're talking about this, but it does. This is probably a good point before we go too much further to talk about the difference between copyright and copyleft. Yeah. Um, so these are all licenses, but some of the licenses provide copyright. Very few open sources, open source licenses provide copyright. They either are very permissive or they provide what's called copyleft. And the idea behind copyleft, and the only reason it's called that is because it's the opposite of copyright, is that it is a way of ensuring that the changes and the modifications and the software, as it's redistributed, get propagated under the same license that they were written in or that they were assigned at the beginning. And the purpose of that, especially in open source software or perhaps only in open source software, is to make sure that the software always stays open source and that the modified versions are released and they're completely available and the licensing never changes. Now, some of the licenses we're going to talk about a little bit later are not copyleft. In other words, they don't have that protection for 
changes and modifications and redistribution. So some of the licenses will be, you can take the license, it's open source to begin with, you can grab the software, then you can change it, modify it, make it not open source and copyright it and release it as something else. Um, and those, um, you know, we'll talk, we'll talk about which ones are those, but it's probably worth noting which ones are copyleft and which ones aren't, especially if you're a user, because at some point somebody might fork a software package that you really like and then you start using that fork and then they make it commercial and then they start charging for it and then you're kind of screwed. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, uh, we'll jump back to the AGPL. Oh, and I will say something about the versions, uh, particularly of the GPL. Uh, some, some licenses are worded like GPL V2. And if that is the license that's attributed to the software, then that's the license that carries forward through all modifications. But some software will be licensed, for example, GPL V2 or later which means whatever version of the GPL is currently in force is the one that the software has. If it was originally released under GPL v2, but the GPL v3 has come out, then it's GPL v3. And if 4 comes out, then it'll be GPL v4, so on and so forth. So so change of state, from what I would gather from that, would mean changing the, the license for the better, for the worse. Um, reversing something, overriding something that was already mentioned in there, uh, transferring, you know, meddling, etc. So are you talking about meddling with the license? Yeah. Well, I kind of gather from, from what I'm reading that a change of state in some sort of licensing would be to modify the text, um, to, you know, rewording it basically. So it would be, modifying it to change specific terms in the license or something of that nature. Well, that's interesting, at least as, as regards things like the AGPL, because you can't do that. You have to actually, you have to propagate the exact uh, wording of the license. Oh, except that if they actually change what the license is, then that will propagate for right, it. So that's right. probably what they're yeah. talking about. Okay. So if the, if the state changes in the license along right. the history, that has to be, that um, has to be disclosed. Right. Yes. Disclosed. Right. In, yeah. In, so, in yeah. Somewhere, somewhere, you know, just modifying the license somehow is the change of state. Right. Yeah. You know, so. Right. Then that will carry forward to anything that is released using that in license. the future. Right. Right. All right, fair enough. We got that figured out. So we are down to limitations <laughs> in the AGPLD3. And and this is going to be a common theme across almost all of the licenses. And this is that the, the license does not give you, you know, any liability uh, for it working, for it not working, for, you know, destroying your business, for it making your business totally successful. <laughs> Blowing uh, your computer up. Yeah, whatever. exactly. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no <laughs> grant of liability. There's no grant of warranty for the license. So that is a limitation. And this is probably the, the biggest, uh, you know, FUD case. <laughs> you can't, you can't sue for yeah. medical bills related to the hemorrhoids you get for excessive use of the software. There for example. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no. And uh, the, the one thing here too, I want to make mention, cause this will be the difference when you really go into the, the straight, uh, GNU GPL version three, which is next is that. Using it on the network, so providing a network service or a software as a service or platform as a service, does indeed constitute distribution in this case. So I think that's why it's the most uh, 
most restrictive of the licenses for the GPL. All right. And that does make a certain sort of sense as far as, um, well, I mean, if you're, if you're using it in a virtual environment or as a droplet or something like that, I mean, you're, it's definitely running a, another instance. So it would essentially be a copy. Yeah. All right. So that's the AGPL V3. So you want to compare and contrast that to the GPL V3, the one without the A? The one without the A is that's that's the only difference. There's just no A. There's no A. <laughs> Everything's exactly the same. There's just no A. And the A stands for a network. <laughs> uh, I'll just read through it real quick, but uh, that's the primary difference that I, I ran across. The uh, GNU GPL version three. This is permissions of the strong copyleft license are conditioned of making conditioned on making available complete source code of the licensed works and modifications, which include larger works using the licensed work under the same license. Uh, copyright and license notices must be preserved. Contributors provide an express grant of patent rights. So again, this shares uh, permissions of commercial use, distribution, modification, patent use, and private use. The conditions are the disclosure of source. The license and copyright notice must be copied verbatim. It must use the same license. And again, must uh, must accept those state changes. But it does not. It does not force you into distribution using it in a network, uh, cap- uh, you know, um, format or, you know, service. All right. Very good. Ted said something about, I think, related to state changes earlier. He said, uh, everyone is permitted to con- copy and distribute verbatim copies of this license document, but changing it is not allowed. So, in other words, you cannot initiate state changes to the license. The original license can be modified, thereby modifying state. But you, as the redistributor of software, cannot make state changes. All right, so now we're on to the LGPL, and this one's actually a subset, another subset of the GPL, but this one has to do with libraries. Right, yeah. So the permissions of this copyleft license are conditioned on making available the complete source code of the license work. This sounds real familiar. Modification of the same license or the G- GNU GPL version 3. So this one can have a different license in front of it. Uh, the copyright and license notices must be preserved. The contributors provide an express grant of patent rights. However, a larger work using the licensed work through interfaces provided by the licensed work may be distributed under different terms and without the source code for the larger work. So essentially what that means is you can use an API to a library that happens to be a GPL version 3 or a GPL version 3. You can use that library external to your application and your application can be isolated and licensed differently using this LGPL version 3. So it does not necessarily have to carry on the license of the parent, you know, the AGPL or GPL. In this particular use case, when you're dealing with basically a library-type interface. Yep. This is specifically in the instance where you want to have something that might be a subsystem of a larger software application that you want to maintain GPL copyleft compatibility with but that may be released as part of a larger piece of software that is not necessarily copyleft or even GPL. So yeah, this would be good for doing like mods and stuff like that on a, on a particular uh, application that maybe you, you're not modifying the source, but you know, you ha- it has a, you know, an interface or an API that you can hit. Uh, so like this would be, you know, if you're a mod developer, you're just developing like little tools to sit on top of uh, the commercial software or the, the uh, GPL software. Uh, this is a great license to actually use in that case. So. All right, very good. So moving on from the GPLs, we can talk about a couple of other ones that are sort of really popular in the open source space. 
the next one is the Mozilla public license. This one, of course, was developed by Mozilla for their software, but it's being used in a wider scope now. So, Bill, let's run down Mozilla. Yeah. So, uh, and we're taking all this text. I want to be honest and disclose. <laughs> Because this is a uh, Creative Commons work here too, uh, we're getting all this stuff from uh, ChooseALicense.com, uh, which is a great resource for kind of digging through all these licenses and bullet pointing uh, all the data for them. So I just want to go ahead and give them props for putting together that website that allows you to kind of dig into these little licenses and understand them a little bit better. And hopefully, our context in our discussion is not going to uh, interfere with that knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is the Mozilla public license, and this is at version two. Uh, the permissions of this weak, this weak sauce, no, weak copy life left license are conditioned on making available source code of license files and modifications of those files under the same license, where in certain cases, one of the GNU licenses. So, again, this could be one of those mod type licenses. Uh, copyright license notices must be provided. Contributors provide an express grant of patent rights. However, a larger work using the license work may be distributed under different terms and without source code, without source code for files added in the larger work. So this is akin to the LGPL where it allows for larger works to be distributed commercially and not open source. So that's why it's considered weak copyleft. Weak copyleft permits that. Strong copyleft does not. Any any work built on a strong copyleft license like the GPL must be GPL. Must be. That's strong copyleft. So Yeah, so if you're not interested in releasing your source code, <laughs> I, I think you still have to dis- disclose the source, right? No, okay, we're not to the one that you don't have to. Uh, you're you're talking, not me. So. I know, I know. I hate when I'm, I'm talking out <laughs> loud. Brain, I was, yeah, I know. <laughs> I was kind of like running through all of these earlier, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Okay, <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So with this one, yes, you can use it in commercial use. You can distribute it. You can modify it, patent, private use. Uh, you have to disclose a source. Uh, the conditions are that the license and copyright notice have to go out, same license and file. So all that stuff is the same. And the limitations includes trademark use on this. So you do not necessarily uh, grant trademark use through this particular license. And I'm assuming that's for like, you know, putting logos on your website or something like that says powered by XYZ. um, If it's not declared that you can actually say that it's powered by XYZ. Sounds good to me. So finally we have, uh, well, not finally, I shouldn't say that, but we ha- we have the Apache license, uh, the 2.0 version of it. It's a permissive license, and we're getting into the permissives now. These are the ones that are not necessarily copyleft at all, um, which allow people to do whatever they want with the software. These these are kind of very hands-off licenses. These are for people who create software and then don't really care what happens to it after it's been released. Uh, the main conditions require preservation of copyright and license notices, which means you just have to say, hey, it's Apache. Uh, contributors provide an express grant of patent rights. Uh, we're not getting into patents. We're going to leave that one alone. License works, modifications, and larger works may be distributed under different terms and without source code. Uh, the permissions allow commercial use, distribution, modification, patent use, and private use. And uh, conditions are that the license and copyright notice and state changes are maintained. Uh, but again, this can be rolled into a larger software package or a forked software package that can then be turned into something that is not open source. Uh, the same thing can be said for the MIT license, which is probably one of the most permissive licenses there is. I think the MIT license is like 
two sentences or something. Um, and maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, but it's a short and simple permissive license that can conditions only requiring preservation of copyright and license notices, license works, modifications, and larger works may be distributed under different terms and without source code. It allows commercial use, distribution, modification, and private use. Conditions are that the license and copyright notice be preserved and limitations on liability and warranty. But again, you can take something that's MIT licensed and make it not MIT licensed. That's how permissive it is. And I don't know what the unlicensed is, Bill, so tell me what the unlicensed is. <laughs> yeah, this is one they list there. It's a license with no conditions whatsoever, which uh, dedicates works to the public domain. Uh, unlicensed works, modification of larger works may be distributed under different terms and without source code. And I'm assuming that you can, uh, again, by, as I say, use it for commercial use, distribution, modification, private use, no conditions whatsoever. And of course, no, uh, no liability or warranty, uh, limitations. Uh, are granted there. All right. Very good. We sounds, probably sounds more like a Creative Commons type. It, license. it is. I think that's for software. It's like the equivalent of public domain for software. Yeah. So we're going to kind of skip over the subsets of BSD licenses because they're all kind of the same thing and there's just uh, some excess verbiage in some of them. Uh, you can go to that site we've mentioned that will be in the show notes and there will be a couple of other links to various other licensing websites or licensing explanation websites. Uh, that be, you'll be able to check out if you want to learn more about software licensing and some of the lesser known software licenses. Um, there's, of course, like shareware and beerware and freeware and blah, blah, blah. These are all licenses as well, most of which you may have heard of. Uh, but switching gears and getting out of the software, we're going to jump over into uh, performances or creative works. And Creative Commons is an organization that has put together a bunch of licenses to allow people to distribute created works, which are not software. They can be software, though. They can be software, but it's generally used for things like podcasts. For example, our podcast is released under a Creative Commons license. And the idea behind the Creative Commons licenses is to allow people to use freely the things that are produced and depending on the kind of license, either modify or not modify or use commercially or not use commercially or something like that. But we're going to kind of go through uh, some of the different Creative Commons licenses, which generally reference things that are not software, but could. Uh, but they're usually for created works like music, podcasts, uh, television programs, things like that. Things that people create. Uh, the first of the Creative Commons licenses, and I'm just going to go over this one because I'm the one who threw it in there, is called the CC0 license. And actually, if you go to creativecommons.org, this one's not really talked about that much. And if you go to like their license chooser, CC0 doesn't even show up as an option. But uh, CC0 is the equivalent for creative works to public domain. Uh, the idea behind this is there is no license granted at all. It's out there in the world. The creator has claims no rights to the created work, which means you can do whatever you want with it. You can use it in any way you choose, uh, including incorporating it into another work and then releasing it commercially or something like that. It's a very permissive license. It's about the most permissive license there is without actually not having a license. So it's basically a license that says, here's a thing, do what you will. Uh, but Creative Commons is kind of focused on the creative works equivalent of copyleft and the idea being that you 
allow people to do creative things with creative works, but maintain the availability of those works. So Bill's going to run down some of the different versions of Creative Commons. Right. So our first one is uh, the attribution, the CC BY, and this license lets others distribute, remix, tweak, and build upon your work, even commercially, as long as they credit you for the original creation. This is the most accommodating of the licenses offered, recommended for maximum dissemination and use of licensed materials. The second one uh, is the attribution share alike, and that's uh, designated by CC and BY-SA. Uh, this license lets others remix, tweak, and build upon your work, even for commercial purposes, as long as they credit you and license their new creation, new creations under the identical terms. The license is often compared to copy left free and open source license software, uh, software licenses. All new works based on yours will carry the same license, so any derivations will also allow commercial use. This is a license used by Wikipedia and is recommended for materials that would benefit from incorporating content from Wikipedia and similarly licensed projects. Uh, The next one is uh, Attribution No Derives, and I can almost guess what this one means, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, this is designated by a CC by dash ND. The license lets others reuse your work for any purpose, including commercially. However, it cannot be shared with others in adapted form and credit must be provided to you. So no derivations. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The attribution non-commercial. The evil one? No, no, just kidding. Uh, the CC by NC. Uh, this license uh, lets others remix, tweak, and build upon your work non-commercially, non-commercially, and although their new works must also acknowledge you and be non-commercial, they don't have to license their der- derivative works on the same terms. So they can take the the license and change it. And this would be that state change that occurs, right? <laughs> well, it doesn't change the actual state of the license. What it does change is the ability of the person to create a derivative work and then relicense it in some other way. If you're doing share alike, that's not possible. Share alike means that any derivative work must be licensed share alike, which means somebody else could then create a derivative work of the derivative work. Non commercial and any non share alike com- Creative Commons license does not permit that. Ah. Awesome. All right. <laughs> That's clear. Uh, attribution, non-commercial share alike, just like you just mentioned, the CC by NCSA. This license lets others remix, tweak, and build upon your work non-commercially as long as they credit you and license their new creations under the identical terms. And the next one, the final one, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, which you're about to talk about, is the way Linux in the Hamshack is licensed. So let's find out how we're licensed. Yeah, this is CC by NCND. This license is the most restrictive of our six main licenses, only allowing others to download your works and share them with others as long as they credit you. But they can't change them in any way or use them commercially. Yep, and that's the way we want it. We want people to share as much as they want, but we don't want people to make derivative works, and we don't want people to abuse our content by releasing it in some commercial way. So, Can we make a remix of the podcast? Wicked, 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 wicked. <laughs> Yeah, no. (laughs) And the reason we're licensed this way is because there was a time in the past where people were actually using and making derivative works of our podcast and releasing them in other ways. So that's why. Yep. That is why we were licensed by the most restrictive of the Creative Commons licenses. But we are still Creative Commons and you are still free to distribute as long as you attribute as much as you like. So there you go. 
Awesome. And uh, I guess we're not going to really talk about the BSD licenses. We could, but they don't really change that much. They're very similar, as uh, you said. And uh, we are going to include those in the show notes. So you can go ahead and uh, read those if you haven't been bored to death by licenses yet. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we have. Uh, this is one of those topics that a lot of people always ask, you know, what's a license? What's a license? What's a license? And, uh, you know, we don't always know <laughs> what they mean <laughs> necessarily uh, and, and what the actual uh, uh, the restrictions and stuff are. You know, it's interesting, especially with the AGPL license. You know, if you're building your, you know, commercial product on top of an AGPL framework, let's say a network framework, you know, all of a sudden your your product becomes AGPL version three as well, which, uh, you know, could be scary if you didn't want to release all your software. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Out, uh, so you got to be real, real, uh, real, really paying attention to some of the licenses of these projects that you, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to install x framework of the week <laughs> you know uh definitely check the license files on these uh on these projects that you're using uh sitting underneath your projects uh it's it's very important that you comply with those licenses and you don't want to get stuck in a situation where the license forces you to do something that wasn't intended for you to do so uh yeah definitely definitely take some time to read the licenses i know we're we're all about hitting next 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 in windows and not really paying attention and uh you know linux is uh well, you know you can apt get anything and you don't, you're not reading licenses and you can pip install things and the licenses don't come up so you don't really uh you don't really think about it that much unless you actually go in and look at the software you know, you know, these these package libraries like NPM and PIP and gems and all this other stuff uh, kind of obscure the license. <laughs> so take some time, understand what you're adding to your project. Take some time and, and read the licenses and know which version that you're dealing with. So you're not 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 putting your software into a non-compliant situation. Yep, absolutely. And there's a couple of things I want to add to that. The first is that I am hoping that if there are any developers who are listening to this who actually provide software in the open source world and license them in some way, that you clearly state, especially on a website or somewhere where it's really easy to see what your license is. It's very hard to find sometimes what a software is licensed under. And that may be simply an oversight. It may be somebody who's actually trying to obfuscate what their license is. Usually when something's open source, people are reasonably clear about how something is licensed, especially if it's a copyleft-based license. But sometimes you go to a software package, and this has come up on our show before, where we talk about some piece of software somewhere, and then we have to say, oh, so what's the license on this software? And then it requires 15 minutes of digging <laughs> to determine what this the license actually is. So it would be nice if that was prominently displayed, even if it's commercial, even if it's, you know, whatever the license is, you shouldn't be afraid to actually let people know what the license is. So there's that. And I think I may have forgotten what the other thing was. <laughs> oh, oh, it actually goes back to our little joke topic at the beginning about Ham Radio Deluxe. And I don't know, so I'm not going to speculate about the latest versions because they're up to 6-0-whatever they are, 207. Um, but once upon a time, I'm pretty sure, and we, we talked about this on the show before, I'm pretty sure part of Ham Radio Deluxe was licensed GPL. They used something GPL in ham radio deluxe now technically what that means is 
all of Ham Radio Deluxe should be GPL. Um, because you cannot build derivative works on a GPL licensed software package, even if it's just part of your application that isn't released completely as open source in GPL. Now, I don't know if they've gotten away from that by removing whatever that piece was uh, in the current version, but I'm pretty sure that was the case at one point. Yeah, and they've they've gone through like a full rewrite and stuff like that when they uh, went away from uh, the VB6 land that they lived in. So I'm assuming that that's probably not an issue anymore. I mean, with as much legal troubles as they've been in over the... uh, past few years not necessarily legal troubles but well, you know a mixture of possible litigation when they uh blacklisted uh some people and uh had some issues there with some customer support and uh so yeah yeah let's um, just say 2016 was not a banner year for ham radio delight no no and if you want a good laugh go back and listen to episode 180 so or whatever it was <laughs> 180 or 190 i can't remember i don't remember but yeah <laughs> so uh yeah yeah definitely let's see here yeah blacklist 180 180 is the episode yeah so um yeah and i thought that was actually a good uh a good joke topic to kind of segue into licensing only because it does have one of those really bad permissive or non-permissive licenses <laughs> Yes, that's true. <laughs> so you know, it, it kind of fit in, you know, fit in, and stuff like that. And did you did you find any other good April Fools' things going on today? Not really, honestly. I've been so buried under everything else, I haven't had the opportunity. So, well, while I was looking, and you mentioned stuff, I was, uh, I was, I happened to look, <laughs> and uh, it looks like the GNU Linux uh, distros are dropping support for VI. <laughs> Uh, they're going with nano Uh, that is so good it's funny that we brought up nano it was last Uh episode wasn't it yeah yeah it was (laughs) because nano has become so excellent lately that no one needs emacs or vi or any other text editor at this point um everybody should just use nano yep (laughs) and the other one was uh radio club please don't take this as disparaging for the people who actually develop nano because it's a perfectly fine text editor i just it doesn't fit me (laughs) yeah yeah i mean yeah i mean i've used it that's it that's all i can say i've used it on every install at least once (laughs) right until i realized that my default editor sits in nano and then i fix that but (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's like ah darn And another one I found uh, was quite humorous on the ham radio side of things, because, you know, after all, it's kind of what we do here. Uh, the Radio Club petitions FCC to fix call area confusion. And this is a petition to have uh, people that live in their physical location, their call signs, uh, change their call sign number to match their location. And if uh, and if they don't have it, so let's say your call sign was, uh, you know, any 4RD like mine and I live in the 7th area call district, I would have to have any 7RD. And if that wasn't available, I would get the next sequentially issued call sign from group A, B, C, or D. And it looked, to- it looked totally legit, but it's not. Yeah, I think <laughs> they should just do that and allow you to put, like, an extra digit on your call sign. So instead of being any 7RD, you could be, like, any 17RD. And then uh, <laughs> you'd, still have the co- you'd still have the area designator, yeah, but it would allow basically ten people to have the same call sign in the same call area. Yeah, well, I think it would be worse <laughs> than this joke would be like uh, forcing everybody to actually do stroke. <laughs> like, they should just eliminate any forty strokes call seven. signs entirely <laughs> and just reassign everybody's call signs sequentially. 
Yeah, just start over. Yeah, just start the whole damn thing over. <laughs> no one has a call sign anymore. We're just going to rev them all up based upon your license class, and you get what you get. And you don't throw a fit. Someone's going to put a sequential, you know, a sequential ge- number generator on the ULS database, and then next Thursday, everyone's just going to have a new call sign. So, <laughs> and they're all going to so, be two by threes. Yeah, <laughs> that way they, you get rid of all the the elitism. From having a one by two or a two by one and all of that. So oh, I would really piss people off. <laughs> exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Uh yeah, I didn't really uh I didn't really participate today. I've been too busy myself and <laughs> I just I just happened to look in the last hour after dinner and I was like, Oh, these are great. Although there was no like real big ones that right. stood out. I guess Gmail did something. I have no idea what I stare at Gmail all day. So I don't, uh, I don't notice anything except for like a birthday thing. Cause they're, you know, 15 years or something like that. Yeah. All right. So now we're into announcements and feedback. Yeah. Yay! Very good. I think we beat licenses to death. So let's just talk about some other stuff. Uh, oh, is that first... what you guys were talking about when I was napping? Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. exactly what we were talking about. So, so if you're in your car, wake up now, quick. <laughs> and we did a complete deep dive into Ham Radio Deluxe. We went through all of the different things. We talked about satellite tracking. Yeah, forget that. DM780, loved it. DMs, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Wow, I should pay more attention. Yeah, you should. And well, I'll even install Windows 10 on one of your machines just so you can run it. I already have Windows 10. That's what I'm using now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was updating earlier yeah it was right. updating earlier yeah remember i was caught in like update hell so yeah again i never turn any of my windows boxes off <laughs> they're never they're never not updated i have to say though that the updates go much faster now so oh, oh, yeah, oh yeah they bandwidth. do yeah yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah so waiting 30 minutes it takes more like three but yeah. all right so jumping into announcements and feedbacks real quick we'll run down we've got the hamvention 29 campaign 2019 campaign is still going hamvention is like 45 days away or something it's coming up really soon uh so if you can donate to our hamvention campaign we really appreciate it we're about halfway there we really need the rest of it in order to uh make sure we get everything taken care of before we show up in xenia this year uh url.bcts.info stroke h B C two zero one nine. Sorry, I had to little figure that one out. Uh, is the URL? Of course, it's posted everywhere on the website. It's on all the social media networks everywhere. So, if you could please donate to that, every five dollar donation or more helps out, and we really appreciate everybody who's donated already. And we'll see everybody in Ohio coming up soon enough. Uh, don't forget the eyeball QSO, which is going to happen at Zydeco's in Mooresville, Indiana, on May fifteenth. Uh, around about 6.30 p.m. Should be quite a crowd there, and we'll all enjoy some drinks and some Cajun food together before we head on to Hamvention. So please show up. There's no invitation necessary. Just go. We'll see you there. And we'll even get to hang out with the chef, K9K Yeah, K9K Jan, who's a fantastic guy, and you definitely want to meet him if you haven't already. Oh, so, yeah. And then there's we had three orders come through the Linux and the Hamshack shop. People bought various items. So this is excellent. We want to thank everybody who's purchased some things through there. That stuff went all into the Hamvention Fund, so that will help out as well. And all of those orders will be shipping tomorrow, which is April 2nd. So when you're listening to this, if you uh, are listening after April 2nd and are wondering where your stuff is, just know it it was shipped on April 2nd. So there you go. All right. And since Cheryl hasn't really done a whole lot of this episode, except for take a little nap, we're going to have you read our one bit of feedback, and this is from Steve, KD0IJP. So. Yes. 
And Steve had to say one use of LVM that might be worth mentioning if during an Ubuntu install, probably other variants of Ubuntu and other distros too, you choose to do the entire disk encryption, you end up using some LVM, even though you might not realize it. When you do disk encryption, you can't really use normal disk disk partitions. When you boot up and the disk is decrypted, it gets mapped to a device file like slash dev slash mapper slash crypt drive. That is a block device, but is not partitionable like a disk drive. So LVM is used to turn that block device into a volume group, and then logical volumes are created to make up the partitions that you would normally expect, such as a root partition and a swap partition. These logical volumes end up with device paths like slash dev slash xubuntu dash vg slash swap and slash dev slash xubuntu dash vg slash root. This is all done for you transparently, and you might not know about it until you try to mount a disk. It's already been set up this way, and you're like, what the? (laughs) What the badger? Yeah. Yeah. So that's something I didn't realize. I have never actually installed a computer with an encrypted hard drive or an encrypted partition. I have never in my life done that. Bill, have you? No. Yep. So there you go. You learned something. So we have definitely learned something, and I did not realize that LVM was used as part of that configuration. I don't think that really references LVM specifically, or at least the level of you know what we were talking about as far as partitioning drives, creating physical volumes, volume groups, and so on and so forth. But there's definitely great additional information. If you do plan to encrypt your hard drive, uh, you might want to make note of the fact that this file system structure is in use underneath that encryption so that when you're looking at your file system, you're not at a loss as to why it doesn't show like slash dev slash SDA something or whatever on your machine. So we want to definitely thank Steve, KD0IJP, for that information uh, because it's something we didn't know. And I'd be curious how many people of anybody know that. Well, not necessarily know that, but actually use encryption on their systems. I'm sure people do. Right. I mean, but for a home desktop, I've never done that. And honestly, for a business system, I've never done it either. So there's that. I I always, I always worry too much about losing the encryption key or the password or whatever it is that allows you to decrypt the information. And then you basically just hung yourself. So I would prefer to protect the system in other ways and leave the file systems unencrypted. All right. With that, we have actually made it down to the episode, uh, the end of episode number 279. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. We hope to see everybody out in Hamvention in Xenia in May of this year. And until then, you know, keep fighting the good fight. Keep listening to Linux in the Ham Shack and we'll catch you all in a week's time. I'm Russ K5TUX. I'm Cheryl W5MOO. And I'm Bill NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. 
Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out. Linux in the Ham Shack and the Linux in the Ham Shack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribute Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.